Welcome to the 190th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a brief overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, a look at the NFL Conference Championship games, and our weekly looks at the NBA and college basketball. So let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's predictions from this past weekend. They are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. We will start in the NFL, where Patrick went one and one with his weekend predictions. In the NBA, Patrick went three and one. And similarly, in college basketball, Pat went three and one with his weekend predictions, meaning he went seven and three combined this past weekend. That brings Patrick to an overall record of 653 and 420. That translates into a 60.9% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your weekend predictions? Well, I had another good week um, across the board, really. Uh, if you count the Chiefs, then I had one loss in every league, uh, which is unfortunate. But at the same time, three and one, three and one, and then one and one in the NFL. Uh, I don't really think that the Bengals deserve to lose that game. And I picked the Bengals out of, I told you this already, but I picked the Bengals just because of the fact that uh, I had picked against them every single time they played the Chiefs before. And I was 0-3 because of that. So I figured even if the Chiefs win, I'll be happy not being stubborn um, and just choosing the team who I think will actually or has proven me wrong so many times in the past. Uh, so it backfired this time. This was the one time I should have picked against the Bengals and it would have gone uh, in my favor. But uh, my poor record picking Bengals games, not picking the Bengals, but picking games that the Bengals are involved in continues. Uh, but that's okay because the Eagles were able to easily beat the Niners. Uh, we'll talk about both those games more in a bit. Uh, so one and one there as I got the Eagles right, got the uh, Bengals wrong, or got it wrong picking the Bengals, despite saying on the podcast last week that I thought that the Chiefs would win. So definitely was split on that opinion. Uh, but anyway, in the NBA, I picked the Nuggets to win the battle of the two of the big uh, MVP battle between Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic. And uh, Joel Embiid last year won the battle on the stat sheet, but the Nuggets won the game. But this time around, the 76ers won the battle and Joel Embiid won the battle on the stat sheet. And we'll get into that more later. So I got that one wrong, but then all my other picks are right. I picked the Nets to beat the Knicks. I picked, I picked the Cavs to beat the Clippers and I picked the Bucks to beat the Pelicans uh, which they did 135 to 110. The Nets won by seven and the Cavaliers won 122 to 99. Although the Clippers were resting a bunch of players that factored into making my decision in the pick, because I typically don't like picking the Clippers to win anything because of the fact that you never know who's going to be playing for them. Um, and this time it happened to work in my favor that in the end, Paul George and Kawhi both didn't play in that game uh, in college basketball. Creighton, who was by far the best unranked team beat number 13, Xavier 84 to 67. Uh, maybe Illinois can make the case for best unranked team as well with Creighton and uh, and also Indiana too. A lot of Big Ten teams that are in that conversation, but Creighton would be a top 10 team if Ryan Kalkbrenner never got injured and they lost a bunch of games in a row at the beginning of the year. And if you exclude those games, they're like 11 and two on the season or something like that. And they were number six uh, in a poll a few weeks into the season because of those performances. Uh, they really have only lost to tournament level teams, if not teams that have maybe been a little bit inconsistent, but at their peak are tournament level teams or better. Um, but still great and a good team when they're healthy. They are healthy now. They're proving it. They might win the Big East regular season title. They're right in the mix there now. And uh, that big win over Xavier definitely helps their case. Then you have Missouri, 
who beat number 12, Iowa State. I picked that one wrong. So really going back and forth on this one, also trying to see what other Big 12 SEC challenge games I could pick, because uh, the other two were pretty obvious in terms of Kansas, Kentucky, and Tennessee, Texas, both for name recognition and for uh, the actual polls. But for the third matchup of that of that little challenge over the weekend, I wasn't really sure who to pick. I just decided to go with this Missouri-Iowa State game, get a try to pick a road upset, see if it worked out. Iowa State not, of course, uh, pull out that win. So Missouri wins 78-61, and I get it wrong. Then number four, Tennessee beat number 10, Texas, 82-71. to I got that right. And number nine, Kansas beat Kentucky, 77-68, to which I also got right, leading me to my 7-3 and record on the week. All right. Well, Patrick's predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website, 4th and 24, uh, as always, on Thursday. As Patrick mentioned, we are now going to turn our attention to the AFC and NFC championship games. Take a little deeper dive there. Patrick, your thoughts on those games? Well, I'll start with the uh, AFC, as you said. Uh, the Chiefs, they beat the Bengals 23-20, to 20, but let's be honest, uh, that might not have been the most deserving win um, that a team has had. It definitely was not as bad as the Lakers and Celtics over the weekend, which we'll talk about later. It was actually a pretty busy, busy week in sports, considering there were only two NFL playoff games, a kind of random week in the NBA. I guess the Big 12 SEC Challenge also helped with that action. Uh, but no college football for the first time. Well, not for the first time in a while. It's been a few weeks that we've been out of season, but you know, not many games in general, but still some very, very intriguing ends to some of these games. Um, I will just go out and say that, look, that it was a late hit on the last play of the game, but at the same time, they missed two blatantly obvious holding calls on the exact same play that allowed Mahomes to stay in the pocket for as long as he did and then get out of the pocket and run. And then you have the whole debacle with the two third and nines and that whole situation and a lot of things. Let's just put put it that way. Didn't go uh, the Bengals way in that game. And it seems like, especially at key moments, that was the case, which is the reason why NFL rigged and horrible and the refs and that was bad were trending phrases on Twitter yesterday. Uh, it was really everybody who wasn't a Chiefs fan wasn't very happy with the outcome of that game. Uh, but look, in the end, it was a really, really close game. It was back and forth. Uh, the Bengals were down 13-3, but came all the way back to tie it at 20, had the chance to take the lead um, on a few possessions, actually, and couldn't do it. And then the Chiefs got the last second field goal because of that late hit penalty uh, on Mahomes' scramble. But then in the Eagles and the Niners game, uh, the Eagles scored a touchdown on the first drive after a play that arguably shouldn't have been a catch by Devontae Smith, but no challenge from Kyle Shanahan led to uh, the Eagles getting that first down on that fourth down and then running it in right after. And then a challenge from the Eagles forced a turnover as the refs initially ruled an incomplete pass, but it was a fumble by Brock Purdy uh, that was forced by Hassan Reddick and also Hassan Reddick injured Brock Purdy's arm on that play. So a very, very bad play for the Niners as they turned it over in Eagles territory. And while the Eagles didn't do anything with that drive, that was really kind of most people said the game was over at that point, which I thought was a little bit ridiculous because it was still only seven to nothing. Um, and then the Eagles, of course, didn't even get a first down on that drive. So it was really definitely not over. Um, but th the fact of the matter is the Eagles, I think Nick Sirianni outcoached Kyle Shanahan in this game um, on all fronts of it. And by the time that, I mean, the challenges alone in the on the first two possessions of the game, one team didn't use a challenge and it would have given them the ball. It would have given the Niners the ball on their own 35-ish yard line. 
um, if they had overturned that catch, and they probably would have if they had challenged it. But instead, because they didn't challenge it, the Eagles get a touchdown. And then the Eagles challenge it. And instead of having the Niners have like a third and four, I believe it would have been on like the 45-yard line, the Eagles end up taking the ball um, in very good uh, field position for themselves. And that really was the difference already. And then it continued for the rest of the game as uh, Josh Johnson had to come into the game for the Niners. And uh, well, that didn't that didn't work out too well. Um, and then he got injured also. So Brock Purdy had to come back in, but the Niners just could not get anything going offensively with their uh, already subpar uh, quarterback situation turning even worse. And the Eagles just were able to pile it on, uh, force a turnover near the end of the first half after scoring to go up 14 to seven. Um, and then eventually were up 21 to seven at the half and then didn't give up anything in the second half as they just keyed in on the run and made sure that the Niners were trying to have to pass the ball, but they just couldn't do that with their injury situation. Okay. Well, Super Bowl 57 is the Andy Reid bowl, as we call it uh, with the chiefs against the Eagles. Um, let's move on from the NFL to our weekly look at NBA action, starting as always with Patrick, your three most impressive teams of the past week. I will start with the Washington wizards who went three, and zero this week, they beat the Pelicans, they beat the Rockets and they beat the Mavericks. All three of those wins were on the road this week, which is pretty important, but the schedule was still a little light if you consider the Pelicans' recent slump. But in my opinion, the Wizards going undefeated in any week is uh, pretty surprising. It's also surprising when you consider the fact that they dealt Rui Hachimura to the Lakers in the middle of this week. Uh, So they did actually make their team worse and yet somehow scratched out this 3-0 week. So good for the Wizards. Uh, but they, along with the Bulls, have now surpassed the Pacers to get into play-in territory. We'll see how long that lasts. I have a feeling it won't once Tyrese Halliburton comes back, but he might be coming back too late. Who knows? Uh, then you have the Bucks, who went 4-0 this week. Yes, it's the Bucks. I get it. They're already good. We know that. But the Bucks went 4-0 and still don't have Chris Middleton healthy. Uh, they will continue to get better as the season goes on. And it looks like a true big three and possibly four uh, teams is forming in the East and that includes the team I'm going to mention next, which is the Philadelphia 76ers. They beat Denver and Brooklyn this week. Uh, Embiid, as I said, won the head-to-head matchup with Jokic on the stat sheet again this year, but this time it also led to a win for the 76ers. He played out of his mind against Denver, going for 47 points and 18 rebounds. The Sixers, who have now won seven games in a row, are making up the big three with the Bucks and the Celtics, and you can call it a big four if the Nets can actually stay healthy. Uh, but, you know, they were looking so great for most of the season and they had that big winning streak going. And then all of a sudden, after the Kevin Durant injury, they have kind of taken a tumble. They're still to- a top four seed in the East right now. But without Kevin Durant, this team is nothing. Um, and he'll come back. Obviously, he's not it's not a season ending injury that he has. But if other guys get injured or if he continues to get injured, then they will not be a top four team at all. They just don't have the firepower to deal with an injury to either of those top two guys between Kyrie and KD. Um, But at least now Kyrie is actually playing every game now that there's no uh, vaccine mandate and that whole situation. So the Nets have definitely been an improved team this year. But for now, it's about the 76ers, it's about the Bucs, and it's about the Celtics. Although we'll talk about the Celtics in a little bit of a uh, less good light later on. Well, you've hinted at it. So uh, let's move on to our most disappointing NBA teams of the week. Well, I'm not going to talk about them just yet, but the number one team are the Pelicans. Uh, They lost to Milwaukee, Washington, Minnesota, and Denver this week. 
They have lost eight games in a row now. While their schedule was relatively challenging this week, um, if you count the Wizards as a good team, which I, I still don't, despite how good they played this week, uh, this stretch is still it's it's still it's still in it's still inexcusable to be quite honest. Um, for a team that looked like it would just you know glide into the playoffs a few weeks ago, now they're just they're struggling. I mean, they are really really struggling. So it you know it's just not it's not what you want to see if you're a Pelicans fan. It's not it's not what the Pelicans should be playing like and the injuries aren't enough of an excuse i mean i've i've bashed even the pacers for losing games with guys injured so i'm not going to give them any more leeway than i would to any other team um and the pelicans also have a lot of well i won't say a lot of but you know brandon ingram's missed a lot of games this year zion has missed a lot of games over the course of his career he's missed more games than he's played in in terms of how many games have been uh on the pelican schedule relative to how many he's played in his four years or three years, I guess. So, you know, it, it, I, I'm just saying I don't think this is something that's going to just magically go away for the Pelicans. And because of that, I think it's kind of a worry uh, for me that they can't deal with these injuries that well. And I don't even think they have that many injuries right now that they haven't been dealing with before. So it's really just disappointing for the Pelicans. Uh, but then you have the Grizzlies, who went 1-3 and three this week. They lost to Minnesota, Golden State, and Sacramento, and they beat Indiana, Indianapolis, no, Indiana. See, what? See, why do I keep even trying this? How many times do I have to say that I'm just going to say Indy before I mess it up again? Anyway, uh, the Pacers, uh, they snapped a five-game losing streak with that win over the Pacers. But at the same time, that isn't really saying much. The Pacers have lost 10 of their last 11. So they don't get any sympathy for me from, uh, for, or from me for, what, for that win being their only one of the week. It's just not a good win at all. It doesn't really matter. Um, they are an NBA best 21-3 and three at home. But the Grizzlies need to find a way to win on the road. I mean, they might get the two seed and they might be at home all the way until the West Con Western Conference Finals in terms of home court advantage. But that's not enough because they're still going. A, a team who's good enough will go into Memphis and win a game. And they're currently 11 and 15 on the road. So I don't know how they're going to win a playoff series against a team that will A, either steal one game from Memphis in Memphis or B, against the Nuggets when the Nuggets have home, field, home court advantage over them. I just don't see it happening. If they're going to keep playing like this when they go on the road and I don't really know what it is, but you know, they just not, they just aren't playing that well on the road this season and they need to figure out that issue before the playoffs come around. And uh, you know, it's actually getting to the point where we're almost, I think we are more than halfway through the season. We're pretty close to the all-star break, which is significantly into the year. It's not exactly at the halfway point. So I believe we are halfway through the season. Most teams have played at least 45 or so games, uh, but the Grizzlies still have not figured out, how to actually win games um, on the road, which is something that, again, they're going to have to do if they're going to want to go as far as they want to go. Uh, but they just don't look cut out for it at the moment. Uh, and then you have a team, hinted at this earlier, it's the Celtics. They went one and three this week. They lost to New York, to Miami, and to Orlando. Maybe they could have been higher in this because their schedule wasn't even that good. Um, and they beat the Lakers in overtime, but the one win this week was handed to them by the officials. If you didn't watch the end of the Lakers Celtics on Saturday night, the no call on the LeBron James drive was truly must see TV um, as the Lakers. I mean, there, there were some other questionable calls that happened at the end of that game as well, but I'm not going to go into too much ref talk today, uh, but the Lakers look, LeBron would have had two free throws to just make one to avoid overtime in that game and take the win. And instead um, it went into overtime. The Lakers started overtime down one before even getting the ball because Patrick Beverly got a technical 
um, for putting a camera in the ref's face, showing him the very obvious foul, which to be honest, I feel like he was justified in doing that. But at the same time, you obviously cannot do that. Um, so, you know, ended up backfiring uh, and the Lakers uh, unfortunately lost that game in overtime. But other than eking out that overtime win against again, by the way, it is a sub 500 Lakers team. The Celtics had a horrible week. They lost the other three games. They played the current six and seven seeds in the East in New York and Miami, and then the Magic and couldn't get any other wins. So a bad week for the reigning Eastern Conference champions, but they are still the first place team in the East, although their lead is shrinking and the 76ers are fast approaching them. All right, well, let's move to somebody who had, well, a team that had a bad week to an individual that had a good week, your NBA player of the week. It has got to go to Damian Lillard. He had 42.3 points per game this week, 7.7 assists, 4.0 rebounds, 1.3 steals. And perhaps the most impressive was that he did it on 63.2% shooting and 514 from three. Um, while he's not talked about much, given the performance of his team in the last few years, he's still one of the premier scorers in the league. Uh, he proved it again this week with a 60.8 assist, seven rebounded game against the Jazz. He tried to one up Luca and go for the first 60 and go for the third, I should say, 60, 60 point triple double um, in NBA history. He almost got there, but he didn't quite get there. But at the same time, he shot 21 of 29 in that game and was nine of 15 from three. So he wasn't just taking a lot of shots to get there. He was incredibly, incredibly efficient, more than two points per shot taken, which is ridiculous. Um, but that is who Dame is. That's who he's always been. And he is still one of the best scorers in the league. That was his fourth career 60-point game, only behind uh, Kobe and Wilt Chamberlain. If you don't count playoffs, if you count playoffs, then Michael Jordan also has five that Damian Lillard would be behind. But look, Dame played a great week. Um, he deserves player of the week. He deserves to always be in the all in the all NBA conversation. And uh, he's a little bit forgotten about at this point with how bad the, the Blazers have been recently. Okay, well, let's shift gears from the NBA to college basketball action. Let's start with the list of uh, close games from last week. Yep, Northwestern beat Wisconsin 66-63 to in an important matchup that it was uh, a tale of two teams going in opposite directions on the bubble in the Big Ten. Uh, Wisconsin has lost many, many games in a row, while Northwestern has actually surged. They had a, an eight-day COVID layoff, which was a sentence that I thought I wouldn't be saying anytime soon. But at the same time, they were able to go on win one of those makeup games as well as a game that was rescheduled and pushed back from Saturday, that game being this one against Wisconsin, and then went on to play three games in a six-day span this week, but won all three of them, including this win, then a win on the road against Nebraska, and then a win that I'm not going to talk about against Minnesota, which is why I'm lumping them all in right now. But overall, Northwestern going 3-0 this week has a pretty good chance to be ranked, probably could be, maybe, maybe not, but I mean... They at least will get some votes uh, this week as they are now second in the Big Ten standings. Then you have Virginia Tech who beat Duke 78 to 75. Uh, Virginia Tech, a team that really needs really needs wins right now. Uh, this is one of the more quality wins you can get in the ACC, although there aren't many to go around in general. Um, I don't know if Duke is quite still a quad one win um, at home if you're Virginia Tech, but they're at least somewhere near that border. Uh, and they will probably stay there for the rest of the year. So it's a good win for Virginia Tech. But at the same time, the slump that they were in at the beginning of conference play is definitely going to hold them back when it comes to making the brackets at the end of the year. Then you have number 17, Baylor, who beat number nine, Kansas, 75 to 69. Kansas had its fourth three-game losing streak under Bill Self all time. They had never had a four-game losing streak 
Uh, they had a game against Kentucky on the road to have to avoid that four game, the dreaded four game losing streak. And uh, we will talk about what happens in that game way later because we're still on games that happened last Monday. Uh, but Baylor able to pull out that win, looking like the Baylor team that we thought they were going to be preseason. And really just recently, they've looked that way in general. Uh, can't fault them for losing too many games in the Big 12. Also, when you look at their schedule, it's one of the hardest in the country. There aren't many teams who could only have five losses with that schedule. And I think people don't realize that. And that's why they've still kind of stayed outside the top 15, despite the fact that maybe in brackets, they're actually probably already a four seed and maybe trending higher uh, as we get down the stretch here soon. Then you have Nevada, who beat number 25, New Mexico, set 97 to 94 in overtime. That might have been in double overtime. I think it was only in one overtime, but I don't quite remember. I was watching that game, but uh, it carried on very, very late. And now I'm not a West Coaster anymore. So uh, that uh, the late games feel even later because they are even later. Um, but look, Nevada pulling out a good win over a ranked team that maybe arguably shouldn't be ranked. There are probably three or four teams in the Mountain West that are looking at New Mexico being ranked every other week saying, we beat them, we're better than them. Uh, but at the same time, those teams aren't ranked, unfortunately, uh, because New Mexico just has a, straight, a better record straight up, maybe not a better resume. Uh, but Nevada pulling out that win, a good win for their uh, chances in the tournament. Uh, they are definitely a strong bubble team, but we will see what happens with their case as the season goes on. Then you have number 12, Iowa State, who beat number five, Kansas State, 80 to 76. A good win for an Iowa State team that uh, really I'm not too high on, but every single time I start to point at their flaws, they respond with a big win. I was going to pick against them against Missouri, but then they beat Kansas State, and I thought, okay, fine, they're for real. They might they might just be that good. And then, then again, they lost by 17 to Missouri later in the week, as we'll talk about again later. Uh, so they're a hard team to evaluate, but the fact of the matter is they only have four losses with or five losses with an extremely tough schedule. They're in the same boat as Baylor, a, a good big 12 team that would have way fewer losses if they played a much easier schedule. Um, but those are only what ifs, so it's hard to evaluate team by team there, but they're still definitely a top 15 team. Then you have Illinois who beat Ohio State 69 to 60. Illinois is probably the second best team in the Big Ten at this point. I'm willing to say that the preseason expectations, if you, uh, you know, there was the top three in the Big Ten where Illinois, Indiana, and Michigan were ranked all about in the same range, or sorry, Illinois and Michigan were ranked in the same range, um, and Ohio State, Michigan State, and Purdue were kind of floating right around the ranked border, but weren't actually ranked, and then you had Indiana way higher up. Indiana has played very well recently. Uh, Illinois' only loss in their last seven games is at Indiana, so Indiana has been playing really well. They deserve credit for that. Um, Illinois has also been playing really well, so I'm pointing out them for that reason. Um, and look, they look like it looks like if there are teams to join the top 25 from the Big Ten that aren't Purdue, it should be probably Illinois and Indiana, uh, while Ohio State has just taken a complete dive this season. And by the way, I did mention Michigan, them too, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, then you have number two, Alabama, who beat Mississippi State 66-63. This was the start. Th this was the first sign of Alabama starting a struggle. Uh, they had been hot for a while, shooting very well, playing good defense, but they then started to struggle uh, with this game, and it carried over to their game on Saturday later in the week, and that is uh, that resulted in their third loss of the season, and it wasn't a very pretty one either. Uh, then you had number 13, Xavier, who went on the road and beat number 19, UConn, 82-79. to UConn now, a five-loss team. Uh, they 
looked so good for so long in this year. And then now in conference play, it's just kind of all fallen apart for them. Uh, it's not, it's partially an opponent thing. They have played opponents that are good enough to beat them, but they at the same time should have at least gotten one or two wins out of their five losses, I would argue, uh, to make that argument as like a real top 10 team. But at the same time, maybe they're just not a top 10 level team. Maybe they're more of a 15 to 20 range team. And that's also fine. That's where they were supposed to be preseason. Uh, but Xavier going on the road and getting a quality win, uh, getting one out of two against UConn and Creighton is a pretty good result for them. Um, and I think they were happy with the results overall this week. Uh, but then you have Pitt who beat Wake Forest 81-79 in an important bubble battle. San Diego State beat Utah State 85-75 to another important bubble battle. And then speaking of the bubble again, Michigan was probably knocked, enti- not entirely out of tournament contention, but maybe maybe put in a very very hard place to come back from uh after losing a number one purdue 75 to 70 michigan season has just kind of taken a tumble uh especially in recent weeks and then it culminated at the end of this week with a very bad loss to penn state that i'm not going to actually talk about because there are no penn state is at best a bubble team and michigan is at worst an easy lock for non-tournament play um so I won't talk too much about that game. I'm actually not going to talk about it at all more than I just did, but Purdue continues to roll on while Michigan continues to uh, spiral downwards. Then you have number six, Arizona who beat Washington state 63 to 58 too close for Arizona against a team. That's not very good in Washington state, a sub 500 team, arguably one of the best sub 500 teams in the country, but at the same time, they're still a sub 500 team. You shouldn't be struggling that much against them. Um, and then you have West Virginia who beat Auburn 80 to 77. This is the start of the big 12 sec challenge, uh, action that we will cover. Um, Auburn was actually ranked number 16 before this game, but maybe didn't deserve to be there. Their strength of schedule is actually just awful. Um, and you know, a one point win against Northwestern was arguably their, the best team they had beaten all year long and, uh, winning a game 43 to 42 on a neutral court against Northwestern is not good enough to be a top 15 team at all. Um, In West Virginia, they have been playing better recently. The metrics really, really like this team in general. Uh, And they're starting to kind of turn the season around and prove why those computers are so high on them, uh, despite the fact that most common people aren't. Uh, Then you have number 17, Baylor, who squeaked out a win over Arkansas 67 to 64 uh, at home. Arkansas had a good chance to actually tie this game at the very end and send it into overtime. And then who knows what would have happened, but Baylor able to actually secure that victory. Um, and that was an important victory for them. They completed a clean week, should be moving up at the rankings. We will see what they're ranked up. Those rankings might be out now, but I'm not going to put any stock into looking at them now. Uh, and then you have Pitt who beat number 20, Miami 71 to 68. They continue to improve their resume. They needed two wins this week. They got both wins this week. Uh, they are looking like, more of a solidified tournament team that they've looked like in the past. Although some of those losses that they took non-conference, um, including a 25 point loss to Michigan also still looking pretty poor, but at the same time, their win that they have over Northwestern continues to look better um, as not many teams have been able to go to Welsh Ryan and actually pull out victories. You see Wisconsin dropping a game there. Uh, Illinois has lost there. Indiana lost at home to Northwestern and Pitt went in there and won by 30. Now granted, because I was actually there in person, there was like nobody at that game. Um, And that was uh, probably the least amount of hype that the Northwestern team had all season long. But at the same time, 
Uh, Pitt still able to get that good win back then and then get this good win over Miami this week. And if they continue to not lose games to the teams that they should beat, I think they will be in good enough position um, come tournament time or selection Sunday, I should say, to actually be in the tournament. Um, and they'll probably make it from the bubble. Then you have number 24 Clemson who beat Florida State 82 to 81. Clemson is just not that good. I mean, they have the same thing as Auburn where they just haven't played anybody. And that's the reason why they only have four losses. They would have four lot more than four losses with pretty much any other schedule in the country. Um, and because of that, this win by one over a, I think, seven and 14 Florida State team looks horrible because it is horrible. Clemson should not be anywhere close to a team like Florida State. And yet here they are. Um, I don't think that this team is going to stay ranked very long. Uh, and I don't think that they're going to continue to win games for a very long time. I don't think they're going to be ACC champions of the regular season or anything like that. Uh, but for now, they stay in a good position there, but I don't think that's going to last for too long. Then you have more Big 12 SEC challenge action as number four, Tennessee beat number 10, Texas, 82 to 71. Tennessee looking like a very strong team. Uh, they are probably going to claim a number one seed if they continue to play the way they have played recently. Uh, but in general, they just look pretty good this season. Then you have number nine, Kansas, who beat Kentucky 77 to 68. This was avoiding that dreaded four-game losing streak that they don't have under Bill Self. Um, it was just a very well-played game by Kansas. They countered everything Kentucky had. This was a high-level game, though, for sure. And you can tell that Kentucky has finally turned the corner. They won't. They might be outside of the bracket right now as it stands. They're at least right on the bubble. But they're not going to miss the tournament come the end of the season because I think they're going to pull off some upsets. They already beat Tennessee at Tennessee. I really think that Alabama will struggle when they go to play Kentucky, and I think that Kentucky will be able to pull out enough wins against the Floridas and Auburns and kind of other teams that are in that middle range in the SEC, Mississippi State, that they, in the end, will claim a tournament spot pretty easily because uh, they do have the talent. They just haven't played up to that level this season. Then you have number 18, St. Mary's, who beat BYU 57-56. to Aiden Mahaney made a shot with .3 seconds left, a turnaround fadeaway jumper um, after BYU had taken a one-point lead on a one-of-two trip to the free-throw line on the other end. Took that lead with .3 seconds left. St. Mary's ends up with the win. They might win the West Coast Conference this year, and Gonzaga might actually lose their streak of conference championships because St. Mary's does play Gonzaga twice. Um, and St. Mary's doesn't have another loss on their resume yet and have probably arguably played the toughest games you can play in the West Coast Conference besides playing Gonzaga. All they need is a season split with Gonzaga and they will win that conference. Um, and then you have number 23, Providence, who beat Villanova 70 to 65. Uh, Providence looking like the exact same team they were last year, the team that is at the bottom of the rankings but has a decent resume, but people still are doubting them. But they just keep winning games and that's really all that matters. Okay, let's move on to our upsets from last week. Texas A&M beat number 15 Auburn 79-63 to 63 to start off Auburn's uh, downhill turn that they took starting at the beginning of the week. Then you have USC who beat number 8 UCLA 77-64. to 64. Uh, USC claiming a very, very important win. There are not many good wins to get in the Pac-12. And especially with Arizona State's recent slump, there are really arguably only two tournament teams in that entire conference. Um, but USC is trying to make it a third is trying to become that third team, replace Arizona state who was that third team for most of the season. Um, and this win goes a long way towards doing that. The only good wins you can get are really UCLA and Arizona. Uh, so picking up those wins when you're at home is very important. USC was able to do that this week. 
Then you have number number two, Alabama, who fell to Oklahoma 93 to 69, their largest loss since 2016. I talked about it earlier that the signs started to show up when they almost lost to uh, Mississippi State earlier in the week. But Alabama just could not shoot in this game. And they are so reliant on shooting threes and making threes that when they aren't shooting well, they really are not that good of a team. Uh, this year, they have been way more consistent with their shooting, which is why they haven't taken as many losses as they have in recent years, um, despite still being a top team, by the way, all the way through the recent parts of the Nate Oates era there. Uh, but this team is top five when they're on, and they are a great team. But when they can't shoot, they aren't as good defensively as some of the teams in the past that they've had. So they really do need to outshoot their opponents. And when they don't do it, they just aren't very good at all. Uh, Missouri beat number 12, Iowa State. By 17, we've talked about that a few times now, but Iowa State ending a one-in-one one week with a pretty tough schedule. I think they're okay with their results, and they'll 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 push on to the next week. But the Big 12 is a gauntlet nonstop, so they just got to get back on track and not dwell on the loss. Then you have Mississippi State, who beat number 11 TCU 81-74 to in overtime. Uh, TCU, same thing as Iowa State, just don't dwell on the loss. You got to move on, win your games next week, because the Big 12 is a, is a nonstop gauntlet. Then you have Hofstra, who beat number 18, Charleston, 85 to 81. Charleston finally taking the loss that will probably knock them out of the AP poll. If it didn't, they deserve to be out of it because this is another one of those teams. They're in the group with New Mexico that their wins are not good enough to justify being ranked. FAU actually does deserve to be ranked for the record, but Charleston does not. This conference is not good enough to have a ranked team in it. It's not that hard to really run through. And there have been teams in the past that have, had better records and better conferences and not been ranked. So I don't really believe in them not being ranked, but at the same time, uh, Charleston taking that second loss of the year probably should be unranked, but we'll see what happens. All right, let's wrap up the look at college basketball with a few other important games from last week. Rutgers beat Penn state 65 to 45 at the beginning of the week. They still looked like the second best team in the big 10, but now there's more of an argument uh, as they also lost to Iowa later in the week. That was 93 to 82. I'm skipping over a few games, but Iowa did beat Rutgers 93 to 82 later. So Rutgers ends a one in one week and they kind of have to deal with the same thing that the big 12 teams have to do, which is that they're in a conference that's a gauntlet. And maybe the fact of the matter is the big 12 teams are all top 15 teams playing each other while the big 10 teams are kind of all clumped up in the 25 to 35 range, but they're still so similar to each other in terms of how good they are that it's very, very hard to win. Uh, Cause there isn't really a clear cut second or third best team other than maybe Illinois and Indiana starting to separate themselves now, but it's still not that clear of a picture. Um, and then you have Creighton who beat number 13, Xavier, 84 to 67. I talked about this in the context of my prediction, so I won't talk about it anymore. And then finally, you have number one, Purdue, who beat Michigan State, 77 to 61. Purdue just keeps on winning. There aren't really any teams that are good enough to challenge them in the Big Ten. When they lose another game, which will happen at some point, it will most likely just be them having a bad shooting night, them slipping up, Zach Eady getting into some foul trouble, something like that. But he has been a monster as of late. Uh, and that whole team has really started to learn how to play around him well. And they space the floor very well. Matt Painter's offensive sets are drawn up very well to keep him open or get him open and keep him open. And uh, when you're seven, four, it's not very hard to miss. It's not, it's not very hard to make those shots at the rim. Okay, that wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Monday, February 6th, where we will recap Patrick's weekend predictions and have our weekly look at NBA and college basketball action, no NFL action uh, this weekend. 
coming up weekend. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his NCAA basketball tournament bracket that will be updated on Tuesday and his picks for next weekend's games that, as always, will be posted on Thursday. All of that content and much more on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.